0: Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome, everyone, to our Aliyah A Day. Hope you're having a beautiful, fantastic, wonderful, and amazing day. And I hope you're having a very happy Hanukkah. So, Hanukkah Sameach, everyone. Glad that you're with me this morning. As we are diving into the depths of PowerShell Miketz. And today we are looking at the third Aliyah of the parasha, and so many uh, amazing insights today, so we're probably not going to get to everything, but uh, hopefully it'll be well worth time spent here this morning looking at this incredible uh, Aliyah from Parasha Miketz. We are in uh, the chapter of Genesis, the the uh, book rather of Genesis, chapter 41, and uh, we are looking at verse... 39. So we have Yosef who has come and uh, he has interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, told Pharaoh what only he could tell him. Pharaoh went to uh, sorcery.com and uh, findmeanecromancer.net and could not find anybody. So he brought Joseph up and Joseph uh, was able to Tell him what his dream was all about. And then Joseph took it upon himself to recommend to Pharaoh what he should do in order to prepare for this time of uh, plenty. And then more importantly, for the time of famine. And so he uh, he more or less kind of suggested himself. He's And so Pharaoh, we pick up the story where Pharaoh gets the hint and figures out that, Fa- that uh, Joseph is really the only one who has the wisdom to uh, do what needs to be done. So he points him. So we say, and uh, we read, rather, in verse 39, it says here, Then Pharaoh said to Yosef, Since God has informed you of all this, there can be no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and by your command shall all my people be sustained. Only by the throne shall I outrank you. Verse 41. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, See... I have placed you in charge of all the land of Egypt. Verse 42 and Pharaoh removed his ring from his hand and put it on Yosef's hand. Then he had him dressed in garments of fine linen and he placed a gold chain upon his neck. This sounds reminiscent of the the uh, parable that Messiah Yeshua taught when he when he talked about the prodigal son. And it's interesting that uh, it involves very similar uh, uh, illustration here of what it means to return to a so this is what the sages are talking about when they talk about the penitent. they're talking about the Balchuva, the one who makes Juva and returns to God. Somebody who makes Balchuva is it's not just like in in human segments uh, we you might have somebody returns and says "I'm sorry, and you're, you know and it's like, okay, so I forgive you, but you know' you're, you're going to have to start back at square one that's not how it is with a once we make uh, tshuva to him, we come to him and we repent sincerely and turn back to him with our whole heart. Hashem puts a royal robe on our uh, on us. He, he puts his ring on our finger. He gives us the authority. He, he he elevates us to a very high position. And so Yeshua is using this imagery that we see here with Yosef. In the article of Humash, it says concerning the ring, the king's ring contained the royal seal. <laughs> As many of us know, this was the case uh, among royals uh, go all the way up to our own age, where the seal of the government was actually in the ring, and so everything had to be sealed to the seal. We see this in the story of Esther, where King Ahasuerus uh, makes the royal decree, and he seals it with a king's seal, uh, indicating that it's absolute law. And so it says here, by putting the ring on Yosef's hand, Pharaoh symbolized that Yosef would be the leader of the entire government and would have the authority to seal decrees as he desired. This is according to Ramban. Now we again have to during this entire story look at this character of Yosef as actually Messiah ben Yosef and how that it relates to the story and what we see in uh, with Messiah Yeshua because the again uh, the rabbis and the sages understood that the uh uh that the Messiah had to come and suffer, and they understood that Yosef was the example. Yosef was the type. So if you want to figure out what's gonna happen in the life of the Mashiach, you should look at Yosef. Incidentally, it just reminded me of something as I was talking. There are people out there that do not believe in the oral tradition, they completely reject the rabbis, they say the rabbis are no good, they don't know anything, you know, I've got a concordance, so I can I can tell you what, what's what more than they can tell you, and they say they don't believe in the oral law, and I was just saying that if you want to find out about the type of of Yeshua, you've got to look at Yosef, and I just made me think about the wisdom of the rabbis, but let's just suppose that someone does not believe in the oral law, they don't believe in the rabbis, they think the rabbis are all wet, and they want to be uh Word of God only quote unquote or they want they want to decide it for themselves, but many of these people I'm talking about the ones that I have in mind at this moment are people of course who believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, but we have a problem because they don't believe in the oral law then uh they've already negated Yeshua as the messiah shalom why why do I say that well because um King David's uh relative his his uh, uh, grandmother, as it were, was uh, a Moabitess. And according to Scripture, a Moabite cannot be in the congregation of Israel, which would mean that uh, David was not a legitimate Jew, much less the king of Israel. And this was actually the argument made by Doeg, who was the head of the Sanhedrin in, uh, in Yeshua's day. In fact, The story is that Yeshua's, excuse me, uh, I said Yeshua's day, I meant David's day. David's father, Yishai, actually uh, was under the impression that he himself was not a a legitimate Jew because of this halakha. So, what settled the dispute? What was it that said that in fact uh, it was allowed for a Moabitess to come into the congregation Um, and therefore David was a legitimate Jew, and therefore king, and therefore the father of the Mashiach, what settled this dispute? The answer is the oral law. Without the oral law, you have no Mashiach, in Yeshua anyway, because David's not even a Jew. Hasfei Shalom. So this is just one of like a hundred examples I could give where the idea of throwing the rabbis under the bus is foolish because once you do that, you lose... The very essence of what you believe. And you can't get around that, my friends. I'm sorry. You can't get around it. Because if you want to say, well, it was allowed, then you have to say, well, how was it allowed? Who allowed it? And the answer is the rabbis. So, going back to this idea here, though, about the ring and putting everything under his feet, this reminds me, again, we're looking at Yosef as the Messiah in Yosef, Right? And we have to understand that Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, talking about the Mashiach, says, And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, etc. Ephesians, in the letter that uh, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, when well, he's expressing his opinion on, on topics, he writes in Ephesians 1 And God placed uh, all under his feet, talking about the Mashiach. And in the book of uh, the letter to the Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews, expressing his thoughts on the on the topic. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8 says, God left nothing that was not subject to him. So we see an example here of how we're looking at Mashiach and how Hashem uh, performed his work through Mashiach as the same prototype we're seeing here with Yosef. So, verse uh, 42, uh, another comment here says, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says, Yosef, well deserved these honors because of his virtuous life. So it says here, the hands, neck, and body that had refused to sin with part of his wife were now adorned with glorious signs of royalty, according to the Midrash. This reminds me of Hebrews chapter seven and verse sixteen, where talking about the Mashiach and saying that he is has the power to be in the role in which we find him, not because of his Ancestral heritage, but rather because of his merit of the, the virtue of an indestructible life So we see here a precedent. We see a precedent earlier with uh, Abraham Abraham was allowed to receive the priesthood and the kingship from Melchizedek because of the merit of his life not because of his heritage and so we see with Joseph Joseph did not become king of the world because of his heritage, he became king of the world because of the merit of, of his life. So we see this also with Yeshua, so I want to point that out as well. Verse 43, it says, He also had him ride in the second ch- royal chariot, and they proclaimed before him Avrech. Thus he appointed him over all the land of Israel, of, of Egypt. So it says here, Um... Verse to uh, in the art scroll to verse forty-three. It says, "And they proclaimed before him Avrek as Joseph rode on the chariot. The servants called out before him Avrek, which is a composite of two words: Av, father, that that is counselor or mentor to the Rach, which means king in Aramaic. This is according to both Rashi and Ankelos. So that reminded me of something else. So we ha- what we have here in the name Avrek, it basically is counselor to the king, right? So the question becomes, who can counsel God? Right? And the answer is no one. God can only counsel himself. This is why the sages say that he looked into the Torah and created the world. God counseled with the Torah. When it talks about, it says, let us make man in our image, people wonder who's the they? And the answer is that there was only two things that existed at that time, really. And it was God and the Torah. And so God is talking to the Torah. Of course, who is the Torah? The Torah is Memteth. The Torah is Yeshua. He's counseling. He is Avrek. He's the counselor to the king. That is the Torah. Now, there's a very interesting insight here. Um, What is to verse 43 here about the the chariot ride? And so um, I'll tell you what, we're going to get to that in a second. Let's come back to this. We'll come back to the monk. Let's continue reading. We have here in, uh, uh, let's see, verse verse 44. So it says here, Pharaoh said to Yosef, I am Pharaoh, and without you no man may lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh called Yosef's name Zephaniah-Paneah, and he gave him Asnath, daughter of Potipharah, chief of On. Uh, and it says here, he gave him a, a, a Asenath, uh, Potiphar, chief of On, for a wife. Thus, Yosef emerged in charge in the land of Egypt. Now, Yosef was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Yosef left Pharaoh's presence and he passed through the entire land of Egypt. The sages point out that a reason it brings out his age is because that was an incredibly young age to become such a powerful figure. Uh, 30 years old is, is uh, a youth basically. And so we see, at least compared, comparatively speaking, when, when people live to be 120 and so on. And so we have here an example, again, of Messiah Yeshua. Because how old was Yeshua when he began his ministry? 30 years old. Which happens to be the same age that Levites begin their ministry as well. And so what did they say about Yeshua? They marveled at his, uh, his understanding. Maybe because he didn't go to, uh, you know, the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, So they're wondering, you know, where'd he got his degree from, you know? Um, and instead, he found himself, even as a young boy, teaching the scholars. And in fact, um, one of the ways that we know that Yeshua was a Pharisee, beyond any doubt, beyond any reasonable doubt, is that um, they called him rabbi. And only the Pharisees used the term rabbi only the pharisees use the term rabbi only the pharisees and back then the rabbi the word rabbi had a a stronger meaning than it does today today a rabbi is a teacher a rabbi is a shepherd a rabbi is a pastor really i mean the um we use the term rabbi but but a shepherd is a pastor it's all it's really it's pastoral uh but back then the rabbi had a stronger meaning he was a, he was a master not a master like a slave master but a master of Torah learning, so the the rabbis at those in that time, uh, back two thousand years ago, and by the way, what I'm telling you actually comes from the Encyclopedia Judaica, um, uh, largely, uh, talking about the history of the use of that term. Back then, it was used for a sage, somebody who was considered to be uh, not only somebody who really knew the law and knew the Torah, but somebody who literally could bring down. Um, insights and laws from Shemayim. Okay, it's a big deal. And so we see Nicodemus, who's actually mentioned in the Talmud, one of the wealthiest men in Israel and the member himself of the uh, the Sanhedrin elite, actually goes to Yeshua and refers to him as Rabbi, which indicates that he considered Yeshua above him even in his uh, his understanding and his insights. So going back to the commentary, As we're looking at this, he was only 30 years old, and they're wondering about uh, him just like they wondered about Yeshua. So in in Rabbi Monk's commentary, there's a very interesting insight here that says that, um, going back to verse 39, it says, there can be no one discerning and wise as you. Now the commentary, it's rather lengthy, so I'm going to kind of paraphrase, but basically you have a Hebrew, okay? That's bad. Then you have a Hebrew slave, that's even worse. Then you have a Hebrew slave who was a prisoner, and that's the worst of the worst. And so now this Hebrew, because they despised the Egyptians, despised Hebrews. This slave, a slave could never be royalty, and this uh, this prisoner, someone who's the disgraced, this person is now going to be the highest figure in the land of Egypt, subject only to Pharaoh himself. And so Pharaoh has to, has to get permission, um, so to speak, not really permission, but in order to keep the politics uh, nice and cozy, he has to make it known to his people that this is in fact the right man for the job, right? They don't believe his resume, so now he's got to do something different. So it says here that Pharaoh was going to test Joseph in the morning to see if he could he would know all seventy languages, because if this Hebrew slave actually knew all seventy languages, that he would be like the king Pharaoh, who also knew all seventy languages. so it says here in Rabbi monk's commentary as brought down by the sages that that Gabriel was sent to teach Yosef the languages, but Yosef was not able to learn them. So it says, then a letter from God's name was added to his name as it is written in Psalm 81.16. It says, be Yosef na shamo vego. Now it's important to know in this psalm that the name Yosef, instead of being Yud Vav Samek Pei, there's a He added in. It's Yosef, Yud, He, Vav Samek Pei, Pei So it says, He put a sign of testimony on Yosef. What was the sign of testimony? The sign of testimony was the hay of the divine name when he went out to the land of Egypt. I understood then the languages which I had known. The letter of the divine name was offered to Yosef in testimony to his chastity throughout the previous years. And it goes on to say in this commentary, the, the next morning, Yosef was able to answer him in all 70 languages. Now, why is that significant? For two reasons. Number one is that when the Ruach HaKodesh came upon the apostles in Acts chapter 2, it says that they began to praise God in all the known languages. And in the Midrash Shabbat, when the Torah is given at Mount Sinai, it says that God spoke the Torah in all 70 known languages. But even more important than that, I would like to submit to you, that when you take the name Yeshua, you when you spell out Yeshua, and it is Yeshua, by the way, I've seen <laughs> yesterday there was a couple of posts, again, about there's no one ever been named Yahshua, it's Yeshua. Anyway, I digress. But Yeshua is spelled Yud-Shin-Vav-Ain. That's how you spell the proper name of Yeshua. However, when you look at the Tanakh, and when you look up the, the word salvation, in order to take the Yud, Shin, Vav, Ayin, Yeshua, and make it into the word that means salvation, you add a He, you add the letter hey, you add a letter from God's name to the name, and all of a sudden, it becomes salvation. What does the letter He represent also, as we learn in Midrashic literature? It represents the Ruach HaKodesh. It represents the Holy Spirit. So when we add hey to Yosef, we find the 70 known languages. We find the ability for him to communicate all of God's truth to every human. And when we add the letter hey to the name Yeshua, what do we find? We find salvation. So again, a couple more. There's so much insights here. I'm trying not to make sure I don't lose my place with God's help. So it says here, uh, going back to the idea of a merit-based, Rabbi Monk talks about that as well. Um, but going to the name Zaphonayeth Paneah, let's look at that for a second. From verse forty-five, verse forty-five again, it says that Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonayeth Paneah. Now, there's a very interesting insight from Rabbi Monk and from the Art School that says that uh, that this is also part of God's plan that uh, Joseph should have a pagan name. And so, let me let me gather my thoughts here for a second so that the brothers would not realize that it was their brother in Egypt in other words he was given the pagan name zaphaniath panea on purpose so as to bring about ultimately the fulfillment of his dream because had because the idea is had the brothers known that there was actually a jew ruling egypt They would not have bent their knee to him as they did with the ruler that they thought was Zagoi. Now, friends, I want us to think about this because we know the true name of the Mashiach, all right? But could it be that it was in God's plan to make sure that he wasn't called by that name all these many centuries so that the plan of the dream could come to be fulfilled? So one should ask, well, how is it then, if there's been there's been blessing in the name of J C. There's been blessing in that name. How how is it? How is this possible? And the answer is because it's all part of God's plan. But now we live in an age. This is what's so exciting. We live in an age in which the name, the brother, is being revealed. The Yeshua is being revealed. This is why, by the way, the as I mentioned earlier, the whole Yeshua thing is so demonic, because it's an effort to distract from the true revelation. But, having said that, I want you to hear what Rabbi Monk brings down as in the discussion of where this name Zapaneath-Paneah comes from. It says, uh, Ramban adds that Pharaoh gave the name in a language which was related to Egyptian, just as his daughter Bitya, uh, yeah, B- Bitya did in naming Moses. According to some other sages, the name is of Egyptian origin, but the meaning of this Egyptian name is not known. The Septuagint and the Coptic versions translate this name to mean salvation of the world or salvation of the empire. Now the word itself, the name itself means revealer of the hidden. This is the name given to Yosef. Revealer of the hidden, but I want you to understand, my friends, that as the sages are bringing down, and the Septuagint talk uh, says, and the Septuagint being the Greek translation of the Hebrew uh, Tanakh or Hebrew Torah, rather, that this name means revealer of the hidden, but it also means the savior of the world. Yosef, as I talked about from the Midrash Shabbat, Yosef was called literally the savior of the world. This is why I say. Is there anything more obvious as a picture of the Messiah Yeshua? Incidentally, the Baal <clears throat> says, Baal Hatorim, to this uh, verse says, the gematria of this name, Zaphaneath Paneah, um, which by the way, the word Paneah is, is a word that can mean face. So this is like the revealer of the face, the rele- revealer of hidden things. And we read and the Rosh Hashanah Makhzor, that Yeshua is literally... Called, and this is in the Makhzor, the traditional Orthodox Makhzor of Rosh, Rosh Hashanah. There's a blessing in there that literally refers to Yeshua as the Prince of the Face. What does it mean, the Prince of the Face? The Prince of Hidden Things. Why? Because where's the face? The face, my friends, is the covering, the, the, the mercy seat, literally the mercy seat of the ark, and so where is the mercy seat of the ark? Where's the ark? The ark is behind the veil. It's hidden in the uh, throne room. And so he is the prince of the face. He's the prince of that which is hidden. So it says, Zephanah Paneah baal says, the gematria of this name is eight to, excuse me, 828. It's equal to the phrase, revealer of things that have been hidden. He goes on to say, Zafanav Paneah, this name is an acronym for Zadik Pet Nefesh Taveh. A righteous man, he prevailed against his soul's desire. Yet, Padafur oppressed his soul without reason. He was hated without cause. Alternatively, he is Zope, a visionary. Poday, a redeemer. Navi, a prophet. Tomech, a supporter. Poter, an interpreter, Anav, a humble person, Navon, an understanding one, Jose, a seer. Doesn't this, you just realize that what Baha'ullah did is he broke down all the attributes as they're related to this name. A visionary, a redeemer, a prophet, a supporter, an interpreter, a humble person, an understanding one, a seer. And it says in the book of Isaiah concerning the Messiah that the government shall be upon his shoulders and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I pray that you should see the connections to these two amazing stories. All right, speaking of amazing story. Incidentally, to verse 46, Rabbi Monk points out, that he passed through the entire land. There's again, there's a long um, a, kind of a paragraph's worth of comment here. But Rabbi Monk brings down an insight from the Zohar that whatever happens on, on earth is basically happening in, in heaven. There's a mirror con- There's a very strong concept of this within um, um, Jewish literature. And so when in verse 46, when he's riding around on the chariot, it's talking about that what distinguishes this from the first. Journey through the land is that from this in this particular statement it says that he went forth from Pharaoh, and so the Sohar considers this a very important um, suggestion, and it says that that the reason that this kind of honor was lavished on on Joseph, to the point that he rode through the whole of Egypt in a royal chariot, emerged emerging from Pharaoh's presence, quote unquote that is to say, as the herald of the king and surrounded by his radiance of glory, then it is because, so the, the reason this is happening, is because he had had the merit of being herald for the king of the universe. Okay, so here's what we're learning from this. That Yosef, what, the, what is being said here is that Yosef was the original lapid. Now why do I say the original lapid? Because the Midrash Rabbah tells us, and I don't have the reference in front of me, but the Midrash Rabbah tells us that in antiquity, someone who was the herald of a very important message, that person was called, and I'm not making this up, they were called literally a lapid. Okay? So it's saying here that Yosef Before all this had happened in his life, it says he had announced his message, the king of the universe's message, Hashem's message to mankind wherever he had lived among the pagans. He had proclaimed his name and his glory. Do you understand what you just heard? The Yosef, wherever he lived prior to any of this happening, wherever he lived, he proclaimed the good news of Hashem to every pagan. And he was, it says, one of the glorious upholders of the chariot of divine majesty. And so Rabbi Monk brings down that as a result of his faithfulness to be a proclaimer of the good news, he was elevated to this position and he was allowed to ride in the chariot of Pharaoh because he had carried the good news of the divine chariot. Baruch Hashem. Well, my friends, I think what I'm going to do, because there's, there's more to share, I'm going to conclude our Aliyah for today, and I'm going to pick it up tomorrow with the story of Asenath, the wife of Yosef, because this is a very good story, and I want to, I want to uh, be able to uh, allow proper time to it to understand the implications here about this incredible wife of Yosef and how it relates to us. So we're going to end our Aliyah today. We'll pick it up again tomorrow with God's help. And, uh, hopefully y'all can breathe because that was a lot of information today. It was just amazing. I hope you have an amazing day. I pray that Hashem should bless you richly, richly on this uh, second day of Hanukkah. I pray that your Hanukkah is, uh, amazing and, uh, joyful and shine the light, shine the light of the Hanukkah to all your friends and tell them how, how much you, uh, Uh, Love and adore them, Baruch Hashem. Bless you. Shalom, shalom. And we will see everybody with God's help tomorrow.